Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, January 5th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using with great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, Before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can send us an email. You can email me at tjhmindshifters-academy.org 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And if we get a question or a comment from you, we will address it on the Internet show and then send you a notification about what day or time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your input or feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it just so much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have this work with this work is to be of service, and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. So please feel free to call in and raise a hand or send us a note and we will do what we can to continue to support ourselves and you in learning how to use these tools to greater and greater effect with greater and greater efficiency in our lives. And um, the purpose, the actual stated experience that each of us who teach these tools have, have had is that Life just gets better. And if there's some way that we can help you make your life better, we'd be happy to do that. We would be gratified quite deeply. So this is a Friday. We had a support group last night. We've had um, lots of fairly deep processing going on in the support groups and um, people being able to share that they are getting powerful benefits from the continued application of these tools. And last night we were listening to some lectures by Michael Singer. And again, a number of the comments were related to how eerily similar the message is from Way of Mastery, Course in Miracles, Guy Finley, Michael Rice, Dale Owen Hoffman, etc., to what we're hearing Michael Singer talk about in his presentations. So, um, of course, even if there are dozens of spiritual teachers and they're all saying the same thing. It's of little or no benefit to me unless my um, my personal experience is that my life gets better as I apply the tools. So we are encouraging a very practical, try-it-out-and-see approach. And if it works, keep doing more of it. If it doesn't work, feel free to drop it and try something else. Um, personally, the reason that I am still using these tools and spending as much time as I do teaching them in my private practice and in this Internet show is because the quality of my life just keeps improving the more I actively use these tools. And it isn't as though... You know, my life is just breezing along and everything's lovely. And it is that with the use of these tools, 
as I go through things that I would say are very unpleasant and often quite dissatisfying compared to what I would like to have happen, I breeze through them amazingly easily compared to what was happening in my life 20 years ago before I discovered these tools and began actively applying them. And that's our hope for everyone who's listening, that the active use of the tools is a direct complement to their quality of life. And if there's anything we can do to help you get better benefit from using these tools, please let us know. Again, then the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll see that and turn on the microphone, and we can have a conversation. So, how can we support you? How is it landing for you that we're once again going through the way of mastery and we're in Lesson 5? And if I'm correct, I think we've covered the first three of five keys to the kingdom. Although, I have to check the book here to remember. Maybe we're actually into the fourth key to the kingdom. And we're about to talk about the fifth. Yep, we were... The keys to the kingdom as presented in this chapter are desire, intention, allowance, surrender, and then humility. So yesterday as I was reading, we were talking about the fourth key being surrender. But the fourth key of surrender only occurs as we mature in the use of the first three keys. it doesn't really follow that you can start at surrender. You actually have to to have the benefit of this system, of this way of the heart. One needs to have commitment and vigilance. The commitment and vigilance to stay focused on their own internal thought processes. And this is what Michael Singer was talking about last night in in the lecture he was giving on his book, The Untethered Soul. He's talking about how yogis, they aren't worried about changing the outside world. And they're not even worried about changing their inside world of thoughts and reactions and emotions. They are very, very aware of their internal world of thoughts and reactions and emotions and their job and and they, they work to get better and better at this over time but their job as a yogi is to be just okay perfectly okay with whatever arises whatever flows toward them in life events and whatever response they have internally, and that they understand that there's nothing for them to do with it except see it and see it as false and self-created, and then they relax. 
so they don't feel they have to have their thoughts and their behavior and their interactions with others driven by this internal turbulence. So the more they just watch with great vigilance and commitment their own internal processing, which is exactly what the way of mastery is calling us to do, the the, the greater is their comfort, the, the more time they actually spend in that quiet stillness that way of mastery is calling us to. And as the way of mastery lays out for us, as you practice and mature in the first three keys to the kingdom, quick recap is the first key is tuning into this energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in this moment and that's the short cut phrase for for word for that phrase is desire the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in this moment and the more you tune into that and you awaken your ability to be aware of that energy and align with it that's the first key the second key is you hold the intention to stay aligned with that energy all throughout the day and you practice getting rid of the art of distraction because you've been taught by your culture and you've learned very 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 well how to get distracted and so now we use some of our internal vigilance to watch for evidence that we've become distracted and then we release our our attachment to the distraction and we return our intention to focus on what is it I want in this moment? What is it in the energy of creation that's trying to express through me in this moment? I come back to the basics. And the third key is allowance. And allowance is that cultivation of a way of looking at the events in your life as stepping stones so that everything that happens you might say this is just another opportunity for me to choose love and if that's my experience whether the car doesn't start or I stub my toe or somebody starts yelling and screaming at me if my experience is to look at that as a stepping stone as an opportunity to choose love now I'm in allowance if I get tight or tense or angry or have some kind of strong reaction, like the way of mastery says in lesson three, reactivity indicates a need for self-forgiveness. In other words, a need for me to go in and dismantle within myself the judgments and the negative perceptions that have arisen from those judgments before I keep speaking or acting. And then the fourth key only develops as I practice the first three. And the fourth key matures as I practice staying focused on the intention, 
to be aligned with the energy of creation and train myself to stay focused rather than the way I've trained myself to be distracted. And then I look at everything that arises as another opportunity to choose love, as a stepping stone to bring me to where I say I want to be, bring me home, bring me into alignment with the creative force, bring me into conscious connection with my creator. And as I do those three, the fourth stage of surrender begins to develop and strengthen. And surrender means that you know through every fiber of your being that there's not you here living a life. There is life flowing through this body-mind personality. You're simply a conduit for the creative force. And here is where the mystical transformation is culminated or completed. It's here where you start to understand the meaning of the ancient teaching. I live, yet not I, but Christ, the Christ mind dwelleth as me. Surrender is that stage in which perfect peace is the foundation and it's a foundation for even more activity. And you find yourself, as long as you're in the world, once you've developed this fourth key of surrender, being busier and busier. And you're asked by life, by spirit, to do more and more. You become even more responsible. So desire, intention, allowance and surrender yet it's a surrender into a way of being that the world can never know it's surrender into a way of being in which you'll never receive an Oscar for your acting but it's a way of being in which your consciousness becomes totally open to your union with all of creation as I read this, I think about how I've been reading the or listening to the the audio book of um, Paramahansa Yogananda's book. The title of the book is Autobiography of a Yogi. And I've been through the book before a couple times, and now this is my third or fourth time, I don't remember. But this is the first time I'm listening to it on an audio book. And in that work, which was published in 1946, Paramahansa Yogananda talks about spending hours sitting in meditation. And lots of it is open-eyed meditation. And so from the Western mind, one would think, you're sitting around on a pillow all day? What a waste. Look at all that you could accomplish. Look what you should be doing with this and that and the other thing. And yet, Paramahansa Yogananda was a, uh, a devotee of his guru, and his guru was a devotee of another guru, and these people spent innumerable hours meditating. Yet if you take a look at what Paramahansa Yogananda accomplished back in 1946, even before he wrote this book, traveling from India over to America 
with no good command of the English language whatsoever. And because of the prayer and meditation, because of these weird little synchronicities, you know, these coincidences, people would call them. Young would call it synchronicity, and others would call it the miracle, and others would call it the in, intense use of the divine connection, the, the one mind. He was asked to give a talk on on the ship, on the cruise ship, as he was coming over to a bunch of people that don't speak his native language, and he basically doesn't speak English. And what came out of him after prayer and meditation was so good that it started a speaking career, a tour, all across America. And then that led to the establishment of school and multiple schools for people to learn about Kriya Yoga and meditation. But he already had a school for youth in India that he'd established. And it goes on and on and on. So if you think that, you know, you don't have time for meditation or you think, I don't really have time to read the way of mastery and and, and dig into what it's talking about or I can't live my life just on a meditation pillow. The point of this work is, and it just says here, you find yourself, as long as you're in the world, once you've awakened to the way of the heart, being busier and busier, and you're asked to do more and more. You're asked by the creative force. You're asked by Holy Spirit. You're asked by the Christ mind. It doesn't matter what you call it. You're inspired to do more and more. And you come to see that whatever you do has consequences. And the way of the heart corrects your perception so that you come to recognize that your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment is in completely and deliberately accepting your responsibility for everything you do in the whole of creation. And how can you do that? Because you realize it's not you. It's not your little egoic self doing it. It's this spark of the divine mind expressing through your particular mind-body energy system in this moment as a conduit as a clear and open conduit for the creative force. It's a way of being in which your consciousness becomes totally open to your union with all of creation. And you'll know when that happens that this thing you call your body, this body-mind unit, that you once thought was yours is little more than a temporary teaching device. It's a tool to be picked up and utilized at your creator's direction or Holy Spirit's direction or God's direction or your higher self's direction. It doesn't matter what you call it. But that self is also meant to just be put aside when its usefulness to the creative flow has been accomplished. And it says, so when you reach this point, when you've learned to live in the flow of the the way of the heart or the awakened heart, even when it's time to go through the transition we mistakenly call death, you will still be at peace. As the body falls away, 
which means simply that your attention begins to release from it, just like the hand of a carpenter is released from the handle of a hammer when it's laid down on a table as the carpenter goes to dinner. When that happens, you'll be able to watch that process with complete equanimity and joy. You'll watch your spirit disengage from the body. You'll watch it, the body crumble into lifelessness so that immediately all of your attention will be focused completely on a new dimension, a dimension that is so vast that you'll be able to look down upon the earth plane, not unlike you might look down upon a pebble held in your hand. And in one quick glance, you'll see everything about that pebble. You'll see everything about the earth plane. Yeshua goes on here to say, I am one who has chosen to assume responsibility for the pebble called earth and all of life that dwells therein. You too will know that energy. And the reality of wrapping your fingers around the entirety of a solar system and becoming the savior of that dimension. And it begins by choosing to take responsibility for your little pebble, your domain, your solar system, your personal dimension of thought and emotion. It begins by saying, quote, I and I alone am the source of what I experience and perceive. I am not a victim of the world I see. Everything I experience, I have called to myself, plain and simple, no excuses, no ifs, ands, or buts. That is the way it is. Close quotes. Now clearly, this is not saying I consciously thought, oh, I want this car accident, or oh, I want this broken back. And yet, what they're talking about here is your essence your soul, your spirit, your consciousness is connected to higher planes of existence than you can know with your conscious logical mind. And somewhere, for the greater good, in alignment with the mind of the Creator, your higher self said, I will go through these experiences. I will welcome the opportunity to choose love even though I've been in this car accident or even though I'm now bankrupt or even though I'm homeless, or even though my back is broken, or even though the person that I most feared is now elected president again, I will choose for love. The text goes on and says, gone will be your immaturity, your resistance to simply being responsible for your existence and your experience. The way of the heart, then, cultivates a maturity of desire, intention, allowance, and surrender. And this is exactly what Michael Singer was talking about last night. He said, look, you know, um, how, do you, how do you know when, you're, when you've run across a human being who is enlightened who is 
seeing the truth of things because uh, when sadness comes, they let sadness come. When sadness goes, they let it go. When happiness comes, they let happiness come. When happiness goes, they let it go. And they are not deeply shifted in their behavior or their experience by these external things that happen. They're able to accept and appreciate and allow and surrender and embrace and therefore transcend everything that they experience in life, internally and externally. So the text goes on. The last segment here, the last um, of the five keys is humility. The importance of humility. And the text reads, no single characteristic is of greater importance than humility. Quick to point out, this is not the feigned humility that is taught in certain world religions. It's a genuine humility. For humility does not mean that you stand in front of a group of people and give, as they're giving you a standing ovation, and you say, oh, oh gosh, don't do that. No, no, you don't have to do that. That's not important. And then you look like you're humble, but inwardly you're thinking, oh, God, that feels so good. Clap a little louder. Clap a little longer. But I'm not going to tell you that. But, boy, keep it coming. We all know that kind of humility. Isn't that the kind of humility you were taught at your schools? Strive to be the best, strive for the standing ovation, and then act like it's no big deal? The text goes on and says, Genuine humility flows from the deep-seated recognition that you cannot save yourself that you are created and not capital C creator that you are effect and not cause in an absolute sense and that something called life is not your possession that there is something beyond your capacity of containment and intellectual understanding and that if something ever decided to give up Having love for you, you would cease to be. No matter how deep you go into the depth of the creation, no matter how deep you achieve an awareness of consciousness and union with your creator, what creation is always remains forever beyond your growing capacity to understand creation. It is like an ocean of infinite depth. When you realize that, strive as you might, you will never wrap yourself, your little self, around that capital S source of all life, that's when you'll begin to rest into humility, genuine humility. Why is this important? Mark these words well. As you progress along the path of the way of the heart, as you dissolve and loosen the shackles upon your mind, as the interior conflicts are healed and settled, as you begin to accept the abundance that the Creator would bestow upon you in all levels of life and all levels of feeling and perception, 
as you begin to taste the grandeur of the greatness that would flow through you, you will discover that the, quote, enemies, close quotes, become more subtle at a very immature, basic, and naive level, every child views at some stage that its parents are its enemies. Does it not? For example, the child says, well, what do you mean I can't have the car tonight? What do you mean I've got to be home by 10 p.m.? And instantly the parent becomes the enemy. As you move more and more into mastery, which again I want to clarify, mastery means the ceaseless pursuit of being a perpetually avid student. As you sink into that, you will be sorely tempted to believe that you're done. You will be sorely tempted to believe, quote, I can do this. You know, the prayers that I used to do when I began, those simple exercises of awareness I used to start my path, I don't really need them anymore. I've mastered that, close quotes. Anytime you hear a voice within yourself saying, I'm done, you may rest assured you are not. And you stand in danger of losing what you've gained. Humility is the recognition that the more you move into mastery, the more there is the desire for discipline and vigilance. Discipline does not mean doing something hard that you do not like. Discipline is like the skill of an artist that cultivates and refines the skill simply out of the deep desire and the delight of creating more beautifully. An athlete disciplines a muscle so that the muscle works even more beautifully than it did the day before. It does this, he or she does this, out of the sheer delight to extend greater beauty into the world. While you remain in this physical existence, the creations of consciousness that are unlike love have created a whole lot of vibratory patterns that would just love to pull you down. Therefore, the discipline of the mind that is required is to recognize that as long as the body lasts, there can be a delight in consciously repeating the decision to teach only love. Selectively choosing only the vibrational patterns to be allowed into your consciousness that reflect the capital T truth and the beauty and the worthiness of who you truly are. Judgment cannot reflect light. Anger and hatred cannot do it. Fear and paranoia, fear of rejection, fear of the opinions of others and such vibrations can never reflect the regal grandeur of your being. Therefore, understand well that humility is absolutely essential. Paradoxically, 
as greatness is expressed through you, the temptation still will be to allow egoic energies to make a home in your mind. And the ego's voice will say, boy, you really are quite a master, you know. You really deserve all this adulation. Why don't you just keep 10% of it for yourself? A master accepts the love and gratitude offered by those whom his or her teachings have touched and gives it all to the Creator, recognizing that of themselves none of these things could have been done. The text reads, I learned to be tempted when those would come to me who were sick and they found healing in my presence, it was tempting to want to say, oh yes, look what I've done. I've really earned this. I spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. I've been to India and Tibet. I've been to England. I've studied with all the masters of Egypt. Yes, I really deserve to be seen as a healer and a teacher. However, I learned through humility to remember the simplicity that of myself I can do nothing. I cultivated within myself the art of always being a student of love, capital L, love, and not the professor of love who thinks he's done just because he has a lot of letters after his or her name. As you progress and as you allow more of the abundance of God's love to flow through you, you begin to stand up and out of the crowd, and you begin to attract those that want the light. As that occurs, you must practice discipline and vigilance by remembering humility always, until you are remembering it with every breath. Now, Michael Rice in his work with the Kabor's Manuscript and those Aramaic scholars hands down to us the knowledge that the word that was translated from ancient Aramaic into English as humility, in the ancient Aramaic, the concept was this ability to look for and see the highest and best in another person and then regardless of what's coming out of that other person, choose to cooperate only with their highest and best. So this means a person can be charging at you, raging, calling you names, swearing, insulting you, and you see the face of Christ in pain in that person. You see another being of brilliance and light who has either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance and you reflect their brilliance to them, and you relate to their loving essence. You do not relate, react, get defensive about their attack. You understand in that moment that what you are seeing in them as their highest and best is what is looking at them as your highest and best. The text goes on and says, if you're living in this world and you feel that no one looks up to you and no one takes you as an authority, there's only one reason. 
That is that you have resisted the truth in your being. And through denial, you have pushed the Creator's light out away from your fear and your deep-seated fear that you might appear to be different than anyone else. The world would teach you to be a doormat so that you fit in and you don't ruffle anybody's feathers. However, as you become empowered, one way you will know it is occurring is that some people will not like you. You will push their buttons just by walking into the room. Why? Because darkness abhors light. It's that simple. Michael Rice has a line in his worksheet that says, as I choose love, it stirs the love in everyone involved. And in Dale Allen Hoffman's teachings, I've heard him talk about this several times, every person is a being of brilliance and light. Most of us have so much garbage in the way. Most of us have so much programmed into us in our intellect and a mechanical level of mind these bushel baskets that cover up our true essence as the creative energy expressing in form. So we've got traumas and we've got negative self-talk and we've got self-loathing and we've got all of this covering our true heart. And so if we walk into a room where somebody's heart, true heart, awakened heart is open and radiating out, it's going to stir the love in my heart. And if my heart is covered by 37,000 bushel baskets of grief and trauma and victimhood and self-loathing, underneath that pile of bushel baskets, this light is going to start bubbling and shaking and pushing up out through the bushel basket. The bushel baskets are going to come up first. And I'm going to feel attack and I'm going to feel defensive and I'm going to feel justified in striking out at people because the garbage within me has to come up for me to see it, see it as false, breathe through it, and release it. Otherwise, I hold on to it with my well-earned decisions and beliefs that I'm right here and this situation is wrong and that never should have happened to me and there is no God and et cetera, et cetera. And the more I hold on to those, the more they determine my experience. Because as we were just talking about in this lesson, every one of us creates our own experience in life. So people who have not done their work when they're in the presence of someone who's actively being this perpetually avid student of life and asking to be shown and getting rid of more of their bushel baskets and shining their light brighter, the people with a lot of bushel baskets are going to get shown their bushel baskets. They're going to get shown their traumas. They're going to get shown their victim mentality. Not as a punishment, not as an attack, but they won't know that because their mind has been conditioned to believe it's an attack. But it's happening just because that's what happens, like the law of gravity on this planet. It's the law of resonance. Their, their stuff is going to get resonated because their light 
the truth of their nature wants to express uniquely through them in each moment. And they've been conditioned out of listening to that energy and they've covered it up with all of these false beliefs and conclusions. And the only way for them to see them, to see what they're holding on to that's false, is to go through it and release it. So the text goes on and says, humility is absolutely essential. The doorway, through the doorway of humility, the light of power can be turned on through an ever-increasing, higher, greater voltages. If that voltage does not seem to be flowing through your mind, look well inside yourself to see if you're remembering humility and giving it to yourself. In other words, looking for the highest and best in yourself and then cooperating only with that. The text goes on and says, For the light of God can only shine through you to the degree that you're willing to take responsibility for it which involves giving the fruits of it back to its source and not claiming it as your own. When you claim nothing for yourself, all things can flow through you. The Holy Spirit can gather millions of beings to come to you in many planes because the Holy Spirit knows you will not distort the love of creation or try to usurp creation's position by putting yourself on the throne. Humility is a chief characteristic to cultivate, to work with, to remember with every breath. Therefore, when you pray, indeed, ask for greatness. Let the Father know that you're ready for the fullness of the Christ mind incarnate to be incarnate within you and simply hold the promise within you that you will always remember that you are not the doer and the maker. You are merely the conduit. You are merely the one who has come to recognize that only the love of creation can fulfill you as a soul. Only the fulfillment of your purpose to be a channel, a wide-open conduit for love, can bring you the success, the contentment, the peace that you truly seek. When you are fully committed to that, rather than being committed to wondering about other people's opinions, then that power can begin to move through you. When you're willing to let go of the world, heaven will come to replace it. When you're willing to let go of your need for egoic grandness, true grandeur will begin to pour forth through you. There's a paradox within spirit. Learn to discern it. Become a master of it by constantly asking to be taught by it. And never neglect the need for discipline based on the foundation of humility. So you, you must willingly let go of your need for egoic greatness. This is something we talked about in the very beginning of this book we are being called to release every urge to be special, to be seen as special and unique.
constantly looking to release perceptions, especially if they are about you being special, especially if they lead to a negative emotional state. you'll discover that the pathway of awakening is not a pathway of avoidance, but a pathway of truthfulness. It is not a pathway of accomplishment and pride. It is a pathway of releasing from your consciousness every hope and every wish to be special. Releasing from your consciousness every desire to see yourself as having made progress. That's from page five of this book in Lesson One. This pathway is a pathway of releasing from consciousness, your mind, your conscious thoughts, release every hope and every wish of being special. Release every hope and every wish of being seen as having made progress. So that maybe someday God will look upon you as being worthy. This is a pathway of cultivating the willingness and the art of returning to the simplicity of empty-headed, not-knowingness with every breath. And here we are again in Lesson 5, talking about the very same thing. When you're willing to let go of the world, when you're willing to let go of your need for egoic grandness, then the true grandeur will begin to pour forth through you. You can't get there through your conscious, logical mind. You can't get there through any effort you make. I don't remember whether I was quoting this yesterday in the, on the Internet show or last night in the group, but Guy Finley has a thing where he says, it's absolutely necessary that every effort you make to know God, to reach enlightenment, etc., that it fails so that God herself can reach down and lift you up. Because what your conscious logical mind will tell you needs to happen for you to be enlightened and for you to be great and worshipped as a guru or whatever, whatever that conscious logical mind will tell you is wrong. It's garbage. It's of the world. It's of the language. It's of your culture. It's of your family. It's of your traumas. It's of your hopes and fears. And none of them are of your true nature. Only love is of your true nature. Only the willingness to allow all things, embrace all things, trust all things is your true nature. text goes on and says, when you're willing to let go of the world, heaven will come to replace it. When you're willing to let go of your need for egoic grandness, true grandeur will begin to pour forth through you. There is a paradox in, in within spirit, capital S spirit. Learn to discern the paradox 
become a master of it by always being willing to be taught by it, and never neglect the need for discipline based on the foundation of humility. You see, this is what has caused you to fear the energy of desire. Because somewhere in the past, and that can go back a very long way, somewhere in the past you've decided to find out what it would be like to let all of that power be claimed as your own to be used to serve the voice of ego. That is what you're afraid of. However, if you cultivate these stages and you ground them in humility, you will never need to fear the misuse of desire. Therefore, in your prayers, as often as you can remember to do so, remember that what you decree is, and so speak very, very clearly within yourself. Here's a suggested prayer. Quote, Source, Creator, God, Goodness, All that is, Abba, Father, Mother, I am ready to be what you created me to be. I choose to remember that I am effect of your love and not its cause. Your will be done knowing that your will is my full happiness. Reveal then that path through which that happiness can be known. For my way has never worked, and yet your way always does. Close quotes. And if you're willing to speak that clearly within yourself, then in each day remember the energy of appreciation. It is well and good to appreciate one another. But in the privacy of your own meditation and prayer, appreciate how the power of that source of love that we here are calling the creator or the creation is living and moving and breathing to bring the people, to bring the books, the teachers, and the experiences that are gently unraveling the cocoon of ego around you. And all of that is happening, awakening you to the truth, the beauty, the majesty, the grandeur, and the greatness that is capital L life itself. Life wants to breathe through you as magically and powerfully as it breathes through a thunderstorm or the leaf on a tree or the radiance of a newborn baby's eyes. That life is what you are. That life is the presence of the Creator's love. It is the depth of the ocean welling up into the waves of creation. So please, let that life alone be your guide in all things and rest in appreciation before the infinite mystery that life is and say yes to it say yes to life that you are willing to let the fullness of it wash through you and carry you into an ever deepening understanding and comprehension of all that the creator is if you would well receive it resting in the awareness of divine humility 
is the sweetest of experiences you can ever know. Many of you look upon me and say, Oh, would I ever love to be where Yeshua is. Think a thought, and you are with someone. Think a thought, and you are in that universe. I tell you this, where I abide is in a vibrational frequency with many, many other beings whose consciousness never wavers, not for an instant, from the deep appreciation and humility before the mystery of all that creation is. We abide with the great delight of knowing that we live, yet not us. And yet our Creator lives as us. The only difference between being a master and being a student is that the master has mastered the art of always being a student. Please think about that. Desire, intention, allowance, surrender. What do you truly want? Are you willing to feel it and let that thread of desire carry you home? Can you remember to use time constructively by focusing your attention and intention by reminding yourself of what you're truly here for? You are not here to survive. You are here to live as the truth of who you are. Allowance is not a passive acceptance of things as they are, but a recognition that there is something quite beautiful at work. There is an intelligence, a love, capital L love, that knows you better than you know yourself, and it is presenting you moment to moment with jewels and gems and blessings and lessons that something is weaving the tapestry of your life and that nothing is happening by accident. Surrender is the cultivation of the recognition that your happiness can be found only in the submission of your will to the flow of life, to the will of the Creator. For your will has been in conflict and struggle and limitation. The Creator's will is that you live without conflict, you live in peace, in joy, in fulfillment and happiness. It is called bliss by some. If you ever wonder how to anchor your awareness in humility, stop what you're doing and ask yourself this question. Did I create myself? You know very well that the answer is, nope, I don't even know when I was created. Something birthed me. What is it? That will bring you to humility rather quickly. There are several more paragraphs on this page, all leading to, you already abide where we are. Trust this. Know this. Rely on this. Explore the way of the heart and you will come to know the truth of love. Be you therefore at peace, beloved friends. Amen. 
So that takes us to the end of Lesson 5 on a Friday. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I hope you have a good weekend. Thanks. Do you have any uh, time frame for uh, Podbean? Um, well, uh, I'm actually, yeah, no, I'm still working on it. Actually, I have a, a webinar that I've been going through learning a lot of the uh, different tools and things, options that we have, and and I think it's a, a really good switch. Um, things like right now, Blog Talk's working, continuing to work on it, and it will, for right now, it will be our backup. So if anybody tries to call in to um, Blog Talk and they can't get in, if they've already got the Podbean loaded, they can immediately, it will actually give them a notice because I practiced it the other day and when a live show goes on it actually sends a notice to their device saying a live show that you're following on Mindshifters Radio is on and so then they can just click and go right to it and so it'll definitely be an option if for some reason Blog Talk decides not to work and I'm still working with Podbeam on you know, getting things shifted over so that uh, we keep all of our past archives and things uh, they'll let us upload them actually to theirs the only thing is they have what they call a feed so when you first go into the podcast you'll only see 999 but they'll all be out there it's just they only show that many at one time but you can still you know if you click on their link you can still open up any of the shows even the ones that are 12 years old so you know, I'm working with them on getting some things switched over, so it looks like it will work. But for right now, we're still just going to use it as our backup in case Blog Talk goes down, and and I'll send out notices as I, you know, get more information on it. But at least we have a backup so that we don't um, go a whole day without having a show. So that would be good. And uh, welcome, Michael and. Uh, before you start, one of the things Dr. Tim was talking about when he was reading Out of the Way of the Heart, and he talked about Choose for Love, and it made me think of an article, and I've put the link to this in the notes for today, so you can go and read the whole thing, but it's uh, Out of the Gentle Art of Blessing by Pierre Pratervan, and he talks about, um, it's written by George Ritchie, and he was a doctor with the American troops during World War II that, who took part in the liberation of the concentration camp. And there was a man who helped him because he spoke several languages. And uh, they thought surely that he had only been there a few days or, or a few hours because he had no signs of weariness. Um, he, the, all the other people were drooping with fatigue and all that. And, and he seemed to have, you know, all the strength and everything. And so they were really surprised when they found out that he had actually been in the camp for six years and had lived on the same starvation diet. He had slept in the same disease-ridden barracks as everyone else. But physically and mentally, he had not deteriorated. And so when they got to asking him about that, um, he said that uh, when the 
Germans had come into his town. He he had lived in a, a Jewish community, and when the Germans came in, they lined people up and just shot them down with machine guns, and that included his wife, two daughters, and three sons. And um, he begged them to kill him too, and they wouldn't because he could speak German and he was going to be useful for them in the camp. And he said he decided right then that um, whether, you know, he had been an attorney and he had seen how hate destroyed people's minds and bodies. And so it was an easy decision for him. He said, you know, he could have easily hated the soldiers that did that, but he realized, you know, that hate just killed people and that their hate had just killed the six people who mattered most to him. And he decided he would spend the rest of his life, whether it was a few days or many years, loving every person he came into contact with. And loving every person was the power that kept this man well in the face of all the, you know, atrocities that he and everybody else was going through. So, yes, choosing love. It uh, strengthens your mind, your body, your spirit. And so now I'll be quiet and I'll welcome Michael. Awesome. Glad you shared that, sweetie. That's so perfect. I had told Jeannie that, uh, you know, well, let me back up a little bit. I had shared in the last couple of days, I've been, we'd invested in some um, artificial intelligence software. And so I've been doing a lot of research and study on artificial intelligence. And I was sharing with Jeannie before the show that I had gotten a major gift from this artificial intelligence study already. And that story is the perfect uh, segue into the gift I've received uh, from working with artificial intelligence. And, you know, the, um, you see a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of people are talking about, is artificial intelligence going to destroy the world? Is it going to take over and, you know, become the destruction of the world? And what's become clear to me as I'm learning how artificial intelligence works is that the only thing that's ever created destruction in the world is artificial intelligence. And that carbon-based memory, remember carbon-based memory can only replicate the past. All it can do is take what's happened in the past and formulate different constructs, perceptual constructs out of it. But that's all artificial, all artificial intelligence does is it takes all the information you feed it, i.e. the past, and then it follows instructions and does what you tell it to do. And so if you tell it to blame Bill, then the mind will hallucinate a picture, artificial intelligence, that will blame Bill. Bill's got nothing to do with what happened, but but if my mind says it does, and I say, so we need to make up a story, a picture, uh, an artificial, uh, an artificially generated reality that builds the problem in my life, then my mind will do that. And that's purely artificial intelligence. And the only real intelligence here is comes from love. Everything else is a cheap copy. You know, we've said for years, the, the non-being mind has a cheap copy of everything that's real in the spiritual dimension. And the cheapest of these is intelligence. It looks intelligent. And it's stupid because it does the same thing over and over and over and over again. Remember, I was up in Alaska uh, speaking, and uh, uh, one of the tongue-in-cheek lines that I often use in a workshop is the oxymoron of military intelligence. 
and I used that when I was up there. And there was a man who was on a, a military base up there, and he was in military intelligence on the military base. And he was at the workshop that I did. And I made that comment, and afterward he came up a little bit, I won't say snarly, but not happy with my comment. It's like, you know, we got a lot of really bright guys that do some really important work over there. I say, I, I don't have any question that you've got bright guys and they do really important work, but I stand by my uh, tongue-in-cheek line that military intelligence is an oxymoron. And he's like, well, why do you say that? I, I know these guys. They're bright. I, I understand. But you notice that they always come to the same conclusion. There's always the same end result. We're going to have to kill somebody in order to save the world. That's artificial intelligence. Original intelligence, original being, is the only place where real intelligence exists. When Yeshua said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about some place off in the sky. He was saying, seek actual intelligence in you. Seek the state of being, the mind of Christ in you, which is the only mind that's alive. Everything else is dead and past and replicating according to the instructions it's given, whatever instructions it's been given. That's all it can do. And so what I'm realizing as I'm working with this, and I'm just scratching the surface of it, is that this whole body of work that comes out of Yeshua's mouth 2,000 years ago, he was working to instruct people how to discard their reliance on artificial intelligence, which is stupid. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, artificial intelligence, this, this software can do things that I could never think about doing because it can replicate whatever it's got at light speed, which I don't have the capacity to do. But it can't do actual intelligence. Actual intelligence only comes from the mind of Christ. Not a religious idea, simply the mind of being. The original state of a human being is the only place that is connected to the only actual intelligence in the universe, and that is the mind of love which was called the mind of Christ. And if you're functioning out of that, then you're functioning as a true human being. And if you're not, you're functioning out of artificial intelligence. You know, one of the things I've been really contemplating lately and, and working to support people, working to move my own mind through it, from my experience of it, and working to support people, you look at the violence that's going on in our culture and the raging minds that are willing, in the name of what they call patriotism, to kill people. Election workers, poll workers, you know, judges, lawyers, prosecutors, you know, poll workers. This is artificial intelligence operating. And when I look at I mean, some of the people that I've worked with over the years who have told me the stories of how their mothers and their fathers have treated them so tragically, just so horrifically. I mean... I could tell you stories that would curl your hair that people have shared with me in private sessions or in intensives. Just unbelievable. And when I look back at all those stories and I look at how many millions of people in this country 
have been so dastardly abused in their family systems, in their communities, in their schools, in their churches, artificial intelligence, that it's difficult to escape the impact on their own artificial intelligence machine, which is called in the ancient scriptures, the mind of man. And that forgiveness is about dissolving the impact of the artificial intelligence in us so there's room for original, actual intelligence to come into expression. And the whole body of work developed 2,000 years ago was exactly about freeing people from the wiles, genius of the stupidity of artificial intelligence. Now that may seem like an oxymoron itself, but the fact that this multi-generational database called a body-mind unit contains every reality, every thought, every feeling, every, I mean, it's like one of the things I'm seeing, you know, one of the things we have to do with this uh, artificial intelligence software is we have to load data into it. So I was saying the other day, we're going to go back and, you know, we've got 5,000 hours of radio shows, so we're going to go back and we're going to load them all in this thing. And then in an instant, because of the power of the, the processing that it's got, which is far beyond what humans could do, it can go through all of that and, and we could do a, a, a key idea query with it, tell it we want it to go looking for everything to do with healing through relationships. And literally every reference in 12 years five hours a day or five days a week, an hour a day for 12 years, it can go back in an, in, in an instant, summary, summarize all of that and put it in a format that's written according to the way we want it to be expressed. So I could tell it that I want everything to do with healing through relationships out of that process, we're going to, they call it training it, so now you train it on what you want it to do, you give it its instructions, and it just shoots it back to you. And you look at people who spent generations and generations and generations with rageful, alcoholic, drug-addicted, abusive, vile, violent, garbage-mouthed generational patterns... And once steeped in that, they tend to get locked in it. Forgiveness is about getting freed from that artificially instilled information so that the original intelligence has a space, the original state of being has a space to express and start to run its own life again. And when you look at the vile and violent stuff that's going on in our culture right now around politics, wherever it's coming from, you know how many minds have been that abused that are playing that out and, and the monumental leap that needs to be made for that to heal. And, you know, we can look at, we've got a, a bird's eye view of that right now here, but then when you look back through history, you look at the wars of history, the, you know, what in the last 75 years over, geez, I forget what the numbers are, 70, 130 million people, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's just crazy. Artificial intelligence is crazy. Because if you give it an instruction to kill, it will kill. If you give a human being an instruction to kill, it won't kill. It won't do it. 
you know, look at Yeshua. He comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and the man who's going to have him mercilessly slaughtered is injured. And what does he do? The man that he knows, his original intelligence knows what's going to be done to him. And it's brutal. And what does he do? He functions out of original intelligence. He reaches forward and he heals the man. Now, I've had people say to me, well, gee, that doesn't sound very smart because did you notice that doing that got him dead? And I say, I noticed that healing the high priest servant got him dead. Did you notice that they couldn't keep him that way? That's the message that he came to bring, the message of original intelligence and what it's capable of. So that's what we're here to support, and that's what it's all about, Elfie. So if you have any thoughts on that about that, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, it's 563-999-3581. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If you call that number, you'll be listening directly to the show. And then if you push one, that'll raise a hand in the control panel, and we'll be having a conversation. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up, or anybody in the chat room? With we a do thought have for a us? hand up. Awesome. And Let's say it, hello I to believe our it is Miss Carrie eight four seven. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. Awesome. Welcome, young lady. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, thank you. Good to hear yours, too. I really enjoyed... Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, it has. Really enjoyed your AI uh, analysis. And um, that's something I've been thinking a lot about, too, but I haven't thought about it in terms of AI. I just thought about it in terms of habitual thinking loops. Um, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing. If you give AI an instruction to do this particular way of thinking, it'll loop that for eternity. So another instruction yeah. comes in. And, you know, as I, as I see so much, um, duality and polarity in the world and all those things that you were talking about, that aren't based on love that are happening and are the way that we're thinking. Um, we seem to have this polarity in our thinking that creates this duality that it's either, or we can either do this or we can do that. And I see it all the time, even on TV or people asking questions on talk shows. Well, is it, well, what is it? Is it either this or is it either that? Uh, or is it that? You know, and there's no concept of, well, maybe it's all of that. Maybe it's both and. Um, and I think that kind of thinking can take us out of the duality. So I've got a friend, for example, who's like, well, studying A Course in Miracles, but, you know, should I – do the circle of atonement which has one perspective or should I do the foundation for inner peace which has another perspective um, you know and then he's trying to make one wrong and I'm like well why do you have to do why do you have to even think like that can't you belong to both groups and you know kind of get what 
what you're learning from both groups. And if you are triggered by something, well, that's the greatest teacher there is for you right there. So I'm, I'm. Um, Absolutely, I, I'm with you. I believe, and you've heard me say this before. Another one of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines is: "The purpose of life is to kick us right square in the limitation." And the uh, the whole purpose of every, to me, rather than studying something, the thing we really need to do is to learn forgiveness, rather than oh, we're gonna study this way or that way of thinking and, and move in a direction because, again, whatever we give this artificial intelligence device, it'll just play it up and play it out. But when we can accept the opportunities that show us where the glitches are in our own artificial intelligence and where we can create the opening for original intelligence to express, you know, to me that's the ultimate goal of all of this work. Well, the other thing, too, is he. this person was, oh, I think I'll just study this online thing and not be in groups and people. They're just, it's too triggering. And I'm like, well, you know, the, what I really like, to, like about uh, A Course in Miracles is that our healing happens through our relationship and through, um, if you're, if you're, getting triggered by anything, where is your healing coming from, you know? So I I don't, I don't know. It goes back to that old story of the yogi who goes into the cave and meditates for uh, 50 years and then comes out again, and the first person he meets triggers him and he gets angry and he realizes, well, all the 50 years of just sitting has done nothing really. So I just, I just really... Um, not that we should put ourselves intentionally in really bad relationships or unsafe relationships. I'm not saying that at all um, because we still need to take care of ourselves. Yet I think there's a place um, for acknowledging that some people are our greatest teachers and those are the ones that perhaps we struggle with the most. And I need to uh, work on shifting my thinking from the either or and making myself right, all of those things to the both and and see. I, I just see families torn apart um, from polarities and thinking on all kinds of different things, whether it's um, uh, gender issues, political issues, educational issues, whatever it is, it, you name it. Um, I'm just really... Um, wanting to shift my my basic paradigm of thinking. Um, for me, one of the things that I hear you alluding to or a perspective that might help move in that direction is to recognize that when I say, I'm really upset because that I'm now about to spit out one of my power person's lies one of my generational lies, and I'm not upset because, and I never have been, and nobody has ever been upset over anything. There are just upsets that people hold in their minds, different qualities of upset. There's the rage upset and the hate upset and the fear upset and the sadness and the grief upset. And you say, well, I'm, I'm grieving over this having happened. No, you're not grieving over that having happened. You have grief in you. 
And that, yes, has brought it up, and you can attach your grief to that. But it's not about that. It's about the grief that's in you. If you face it and you apply forgiveness to it, then, then this situation that you think is the cause of your grief will be the, the vehicle that takes your, you to the healing of your grief or your rage or your guilt. But every time we play the game of, oh, I'm, I've got a disturbance about that, rather than stopping at, I've got a disturbance and I've got healing to do. And it's, it's such a huge because this artificial intelligence device has been given the instruction so many times and and the instruction is somebody else is to blame i mean literally virtually every one of us raised in this western culture there might be one exception in the last hundred years i don't know i haven't met that exception and i'm certainly not that exception but every one of us by the age of four became card-carrying members of the one world universal religion of blame. And to escape from that loop and to just recognize the reason I'm feeling this is because this is in me. And the way I avoid feeling this which is in me is by saying, I'm feeling it because of you. <laughs> I'm feeling it because of him. I'm feeling it because of the world. I'm feeling it because of what they did over there on the other side of the world. I'm feeling it because of what happened next door. No, no. I'm feeling it. This is to me like one of the biggest, for me, I'm, I'm now projecting here. This has been one of my biggest learning things is to recognize the reason I'm feeling this is because my physiology, my artificial intelligence has the capacity to generate this. That's why I'm feeling it. That's the only reason I'm feeling it. And when I can take ownership of it, that's when I can begin to unravel and remove it. Otherwise, my mind has to fabricate a lie. The artificial intelligence in me has to fabricate a lie that I'm feeling this because Harry did this. If Harry hadn't done that, I'd never be feeling this. Well, excuse me, I talked to you of last year. Didn't you tell me you were feeling Oh, yeah, yeah, well, that was Char- Bill's fault. That, that was, oh, no, that was Hortense that time, yeah. And, and then I remember about five years ago we had a conversation. You said you were feeling this, and that was because of your dad. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that... Guess what? The, the, the biggest piece of learning, I think, is I'm feeling this because it's in me. And when well, I can take that level of ownership, then I can begin to change it. And I not really, until then. I, that ownership is like the key piece. Um, so difficult because people are flooded with they're flooded with intergenerational trauma through their cellular structure, through whatever. And um, trauma is in everyone. It's not um, just for people who appear to be acting out. But right. it's also An equal opportunity also employer. Those, right. It's also for those who have those feelings that are coming up and, and uh, as you say, are projecting them outwards. So I think it's I think healing our trauma through the forgiveness work. Um, even though Michael, even though I have recognized this for years and I do some of the work, 
uh, I can't seem to consistently do the work. Um, and I've gotten to the place now, you know, where I, I need that third force. You know, I need that outside um, assistance with somebody I can work with on a regular basis, um, on a weekly basis to do the forgiveness worksheets to explore deeper into those trauma reactions. It's a big key. It's a big key for sure, having that support. I know for me personally, you know, when I first started to do this work and first started to understand it, if I had not been intuitively guided to move in the direction of this work and then pushed by the world, by circumstance to do it, I wouldn't have kept doing my work. I wouldn't have done it. I, I, I recognize that very, very clearly. I mean, I, I had the, uh, the blessing of, of being pushed to it, choosing it to a degree, yes, but as much as my own volition chose to move in this direction and do this work, it was circumstances created other than by my conscious intelligence that pushed me into that space where I... I had to keep moving through it, and so I, I and I, I frankly don't know how people who aren't teaching it can stay deeply enough involved to keep doing their work. That you know, from where I sit, that's a major challenge because think, we've all been so steeped in this blame game. Don't you think people can teach it in different ways, though? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, just by living it, it's, it's a powerful way of teaching it. But, but, but by having that intention brought into goals to express it as purposely, consciously doing it, I think, keeps people engaged, yes. But I recognize in myself that if I hadn't had that, I probably would not have continued along a meaningful path of doing my own inner work. Mm-hmm. Too so easy to that... get engaged in, you know, I'm too busy. There, there's, You know, that's the number one drug. I don't know if you've ever been on a show where we talked about it, but several years ago we did a... Uh, a couple of uh, Y workshops, extended Y workshops in a, a super high security prison in a town called Ionia, Michigan. And this is a, a prison where they've got an old Civil War facility that this prison took over, and they bring all of the worst offenders, all of the most problem-oriented offenders in the state of Michigan to that prison. We presented there. It was really quite amazing. It's the only prison I've been in many, many jails and prisons over the years. Rikers was the worst I've ever been in energetically. But it's the only prison we ever went into where when we got there, the warden of the prison was standing at the door and opened the door for us and welcomed us and walked us through the clearance process to get in to be able to teach. 
And we did a couple of workshops, which he attended, the warden attended. And then there was a local teacher who stayed engaged and, and picked up and did a support group when we completed there. And he had been wanting to be certified in laws of living, so he did this support group and then planned to offer a laws of living course in the prison. This is a place where the uh, the inmates was a men's prison. The minimum sentence was 25 years to life. And laws of living has always had a tradition because it was recognized that people didn't invest in the work, then they didn't really do it and they really didn't benefit from it. But these are guys who are in there from 25 years to life and, you know, they might get the slave wage. Slavery is still legal in the prisons of America. It has not been eliminated, but they might work and get two bucks a day, so there's no way they can pay for laws of living. So what what we decided to do between myself and this teacher in order that people were invested is we decided to offer the laws of living and the cost would be that there was an eight-week um, support group that was done after we finished the uh, the courses that we did on forgiveness. And the requirement in order to get into laws of living, the, the ticket to get into laws of living cost five worksheets a day over that time period. And, you know, there was a fairly large group of people that were very excited about doing it. We're, we're doing laws of living. And the day that the course started, every man had exactly the same reason, excuse, why they didn't have their five worksheets a day. Now, these are guys who are locked in their cells 23 out of 24 hours. They get an hour a day to go out and exercise. 23 out of 24 hours, unless they're working in the commissary for slave wages or the laundry or what have you, as slaves, they're locked in their cells by themselves. And every person to a man had exactly the same excuse. Not one person did or turned in the five worksheets a day for that eight-week period. And the excuse was, I was too busy. Every person. And I recognize for me, if I weren't doing this, if this were not the thing I were busying myself with that I was working with, I recognize how I could easily have made the busy excuse as well. You know, I, when I first started, you know, moving in the direction of this work, I was in the business world. I had three businesses. I had 60 employees. I worked nine hours a day, or, or pardon me, nine days a week, 28 hours a day. And uh, that certainly would have been my story. So I understand it. And it just takes engagement for sure. It takes a level of And for me, I discovered the best way to become a full-time student of the work was to become a full-time teacher of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I join you in your new level of commitment. Go ahead. Excuse me. Uh, that's okay. Um, so now that I retired in July and I've actually been spending the last six months doing a little traveling, seeing family, and actually literally physically, mentally, and emotionally coming down from stress. 
And I, wanna, and I remember when I did the Laws of Living course and I did the homework. Every day, every night I sat and did my homework and made it, right. made it, a, made it a commitment, even though I was incredibly busy. And now um, I, I'm finding that, yeah, maybe there is a place for me to do some teaching. I don't know what flavor that's going to look like. Um, and in order to do that, I need to keep doing my work. Well, one of the beauties of teaching is it will take you to the next level because once you make a commitment to teach, then everything that blocks your original intelligence around teaching and keeps you in artificial intelligence around what you need to learn, somebody's going to show up and bring it up for you. Oh, that's always You're going to literally resonate. You're going to literally yeah. resonate the person that's going to show you what you need to forgive. You know, I, in the early days, I'd, have, I'd be on the road. Uh, you know, I, I spent seven years in South Florida full-time teaching locally there, and then requests came to start moving out from, from South Florida. And, you know, as you know, you know, for 40 years, I was on the road pretty much six to ten months of the year. And I'd have people who'd come to, say, teacher's training, say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do Michael Rice. I'm going to go out on the road, and I'm going to teach here and there and there. And I'd say, no, no, wait, no, stop, stop. Stay home. It's cheap to stay home. It's really expensive to, do, to learn the lessons you're going to need to learn on the road. Stay home until the major pieces that you're going to need to work with through, the people who carry the two-by-four to come hit you upside the head with it, it's a whole lot easier and a whole lot cheaper to stay home and learn those lessons before you go on the road because doing it on the road gets really tough and really costly. Yeah. I've given that piece of advice to more than one person. Yeah. I I, I hosted groups and taught um, why again several times and I've hosted several years Course in Miracles and there there is always that lesson, right? I it's always there and it doesn't matter though what relationship you're in. If you're in a teaching student relationship, if you're in um, a family relationship, a work relationship, there's always those people who are going to show up. And remind you what's inside yourself, what's inside me. Exactly. What is inside me that needs to be healed? The purpose of life is to teach us forgiveness. I think that's, you know, once we move out of our original intelligence into artificial intelligence, the whole purpose of life changes. and, and, And instead of being a space in which we consciously create our lives, it becomes the impetus to heal our lives. It shows us what we need to deal with and what we need to move through. That's the purpose of life. Now, once we get a mass of people who start doing that, then we're going to get to what the real purpose of life is. And that takes it all to the next level. And by the way, I do have a partner lined up for you to to work with as a uh, support person and an accountability partner. So I'll, I'll send you that information uh, to each of you when the when the show is over. 
Thank you. And so I really much. appreciate the fact that you you called this morning looking for that accountability partner and that you're ready to take it all to the next level. And of yes. course, we're here five days a week, and there's about five thousand hours of archives where the conversation is, you know, it's this conversation from a thousand different directions in how to move into the truth of who we are as human beings. Thank you. Honored, honored and delighted and uh, glad you've, you trusted me enough to call and say, hey, I'm ready to take it all to the next level. I know that at one point you were talking about, and that's you know, part of why the, uh, the the prison example came up, I'm sure. Uh, as I started to share that, I'm remembering that you originally, when you did Laws of Living, one of the things you wanted to do was take it into the prisons. Is that still something that's in your vision? So what I've realized is that I don't live near a prison, uh, but I do live uh, near uh places where people are on parole and right I, I local thought, jails okay. work well yeah you know, we had a we had a thing called uh, social services or uh, um in in albany georgia and we worked with the local sheriff in the local jail uh, until we emptied his jail and then he got rid of it because he didn't have any uh, any income it was because we there was nobody to put in jail yeah. You know, a lot of local jails work on a per diem from the state or from the federal government. They get paid for every person that's in a bed that night, and if there's nobody there, they don't get paid. Yeah, that's So right. not overly happy when you empty their jails, but, uh, uh, you know, if you get to the point where you're emptying in jail, that's, that's a good sign you're definitely on the road. Well, prisons and jails are big business now, and there's private companies that... Oh, um, huge business. The, and... Uh, I mean, they're, they've even uncovered things where, where they've had relationships with judges to make sure that they still there. Oh, yeah. Judges sale. getting paid to put, put – there was one case, I don't remember exactly where it was, where this judge was, was sentencing kids, young, young people coming before him to, uh, to jail, in order, and he was getting paid by the, by the jailers, by the private prisons. And, you know, uh, what, one, two – three administrations back that was outlawed and then in 2016 boom private prisons came back in because it was all about show me the money mm-hmm. so that's, that's the big forgiveness thing there too <laughs> I have to work through you know just the whole thing well I, you know it's it became a business and unfortunately I think there's a in, in many cases, you know, it's kind of like the um, inmates are running the asylum. Mm-hmm. And the people, I've seen several cases where the people running the system are is, should be in, in the jail. And when we get back to the real purpose, you know, one of my mentors was a fellow named Asa D. Kelly, who was a Superior Court judge in Albany, Georgia. And this man put thousands of people behind bars over his tenure on the bench, and he never punished one person. He would explain to people when he was sentencing them that 
his job, you know, that, that the community had taken up a collection. This is how we used to say it to prisoners. Your community has taken up a collection and built a building with bars around it, and they've asked me to decide who's safe in the community, who isn't. And I really honor my community, and you're not safe in the community, so I'm going to put you behind bars. Love you, brother. You know, like, you know, really care for you, but you're not safe in the community, so you can't stay. You know, and, and prisons have a very valid place in this society, at least at this stage, and that is to isolate those who would harm others from the general population. But to have turned them into a punitive system, a penal system is where the insanity is. And to me, as long as people are living in hostility and fear, we're going to need to isolate certain people from the general population that they are willing to harm. And what we need to have are places where these people are treated honorably and respectfully, and they're given the space of healing and support for healing rather than uh, being beat up by other people who in many cases are doing the same or maybe even worse than what they've done uh, because they've got the power to do it. So I certainly uh, join you in uh, bringing a a healing to that whole game, to that whole system, and uh, restoring integrity to those who are there to support the healing of those who need to be isolated from the general population. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have, I I do have to go now. Uh, I have to get ready for my uh, class in fifteen minutes. Well, enjoy. Delighted to be back in touch, and I'll uh, give you guys. I'll exchange your information with each other, so you can get in touch and and see how you want to work out uh, this uh, accountability and support process. Okay, maybe, as a matter of fact, as you put it together, maybe as you guys put it together, uh, you know, both of you, I think you're going to uh, really enjoy the intellectual aspect of each of your lives, and maybe you together could come up with a, a system that we could offer to people who want to work with an accountability partner and just, you know, a way to do that. So that would be one thought I'd put out there. So, But I will definitely get some information off to you after the show. Great. Thank you, Michael. All right, young lady. We appreciate you. Lots of love and blessings. Take care and uh, best year yet of your eternal life. Thank you, Jeannie. You're welcome. Thanks for being with us. Okay, we do have another hand up. All right. It's nice to have Blog Talk working again, isn't it? It is. 619, Uh, I believe. This is Peter. You are on the air. Hello, Michael. Welcome, good sir. How are you today? We're rocking. Good. Doing well. Uh, so really quick on the artificial intelligence, you might find this interesting. And I, I love your take on it. So the last airplane I flew was, I'm going to use generic terms here, um, a military aircraft, airliner size drone. Um, so you fly it from the ground, and they're pre-programmed to do the entire flight. However, the pilot is there to uh, intervene as necessary 
when the pre-programming just doesn't work. The pre-programming right. is called Boolean logic, B-O-U-L-I-A-N, I think. Boolean, Boolean yeah. logic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Which is basically if then, if then, then this, if then, then this, zero one zero one 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 zero. Um, it's pretty simple. Once you get to the digital world, it's you know how we've had computers for years. So, right. The artificial, artificial intelligence. intelligence. <laughs> no, it's not artificial intelligence. What we were told is artificial intelligence is coming down the road, and none of us have seen it, but it's coming. And it is where it goes through enough if-thens, if-then, if-then I do this, if-then, a million, million times. And then it starts, well, what they say, thinking for itself, right? where it learns that maybe that if-then isn't good, so I'm going to do this if-then. But here's what I'm submitting, and it goes along with what you were saying. The person mm-hmm. that pro that programs the code for the learning process right. is the same person that wrote the original formula. So um, how it learns from the past is still caught in the past learning, if that makes right. any sense. It, 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 so, yeah. All it can do is replicate. A thousand variations on the theme, but it's basically replicate. Right. Exactly. So anyway, that's two cents on that. Uh, but I cool. wanted to talk to you. We run out of time. I've been doing my worksheets on several issues, and one of the issues that came up in the uh, uh, the weekend still point breathing was um, finding my purpose. And for me, anyway, when I don't have my purpose, and I had one my entire life, and I retired, and I did did a lot of stuff, everything I wanted to do, basically. So I was searching for my new purpose, and then for the first time in my life, I really didn't have one. Um, so when I addressed that issue through the worksheets and looked at what I was doing with my life, I'm going to use the word off track because it, it didn't have a purpose. So there was no right. track. Um, um, but I decided to let my purpose be shown, whatever it is. Now I know what my, I'm finding out what my purpose is. Uh, but in the process of the worksheets, there's a section in there that says, I'm willing to go through the physical, emotional, and spirit. I think it's spiritual. The three items. Physical, mental, world. emotional. Yep. Mental, sorry. Symptoms of healing? Yep. Symptoms of healing. Well, I ended up in the ER with the GI bleed. Um, And the doctors were able to fix it, but it was quite miserable for 24 hours. And in the process, the surgeon was able to fix the bleed. So that was good. Um, Right. That's gone. And the second one is they discovered they go, we're reading your body now, and you don't need all this insulin anymore. You don't need any of this. We did a CT scan. Your organs are fine. Um, so my question was this on the physical aspect of the healing process. Are you willing to go through it? I was willing to go through it. Um, 
I mean, I was 100% willing to go through it, and I dreaded it, but I knew something good would come out of it. And it has. Uh, it, I keep getting amazed at how fast this goes. But um, now they're talking, you know, you may not even need insulin at all. Your diabetes might just go away. And yeah. a week ago, though, you're really in bad shape. So yeah. I just want to throw that out there in your comments while we got time. Well, my offering is that, first of all, if we start looking at life through the eyes of energy rather than through what we've been artificially trained to believe about a world of bodies and conflict and this and that, all, all the stuff we've been taught to believe. And so for me, a starting point of that, and this goes back for me decades ago that I came across this quote from Albert Einstein, where he says, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. So if, if Einstein's correct, then you do not have a body. A body does not exist. Something that the brain makes up is looking like a body exists and for want of a better term, we'll call it an energy system. And we've been trained to think all sorts of things about the energy system. And if we've been trained to, to this set of instructions in the energy system, then the energy system works the way it's been instructed to work. That's basically what artificial intelligence does. But when you realize that it's not a physical device, I mean, you know, the, the world that believes in material medicine only says, oh, well, you've got a dysfunctional ABC part, and since that ABC part is dysfunctional, you're going to have this disease forever, and we have this magic pill, which if you take it, you'll live. Now, you may have body parts that will drop off and fall apart and dysfunction, and, uh, you know, the the symptoms that you'll get from the uh, solution we're going to give you may be far worse than the disease, but, you know, that's the way it goes. And so an energy is introduced that creates all kinds of disease processes in order to pretend to fix uh, an existent disease. So once you get to that point, you recognize that every drug is a disease disguised as a cure. It, it brings an energy in that alters some energetic function of the structure that appears to create a benefit, but along with it, it carries all kinds of energetic impacts that create more diseases to be treated, and that's why somebody who starts on the ABC drug today, guaranteed five years from now, they'll be probably on 12 different drugs. 30 years from now, they'll be on 18 different drugs and the, the energy structure will be so confused it won't know what to do, and so people die. Now, when you realize that this energy system is an energy system and that when we bring a, a sin energy, remembering in the Aramaic language the word sin is simply an archery term that means off the mark, if I bring an energy in that's off the mark, and I recognize that my, my mind functions through every cell in my energy system, and if I put a particular energy into a particular set of cells, then the impact on that particular set of cells 
when it's a dysfunctional energy or sin, somebody's going to label that the ABC sin, the ABC disease, i.e. diabetes. Load the pancreas up with grief, the pancreas tends to dysfunction, and now we've got sugar issues. If I do the work required to remove the interfering energy, then the organ, because it never was an organ, it was an energy system functioning either well or poorly, when I remove the interfering energy, the organ system goes back to proper function again. Now, we are the in the you know end result at this stage in our existence of generations and generations and generations of trauma-based sin, energetic patterns that don't belong in the human system. So we have all kinds of diseases going on within our structure. If you go back to the uh, Aramaic language and the creation story, you go back to the original creation story, and you hear about this pretty bright group of people bright enough that they know enough about astronomy to write pretty accurately about what's going on in the stars and the planets and the moon and such. They've done a pretty good job of writing about it. But then you hear that this group of people ends up getting lost in a 35-square-mile hot sandy place called the desert, and they get lost there for 40 years. Now, when you think logically about that, a group of people who understand astronomy is in a 35-square-mile area. They know the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west. How long is it supposed to take them to get out of that 35-square-mile area? Could they possibly be lost in that area for 40 years? No, that's silly. But when you realize that the word desert there is a code word for the unconscious, most people don't really start to consciously think about what energies they're engaging in and how they're creating their lives until about the age of 40. And they start to notice that, you know, why is this happening to me again? I've taken the geographic cure. You know, I've tried to get, I try to fix everybody that's done it to me. And here I am back in the same boat again. Hmm. Maybe they weren't talking about a hot sandy place. Maybe what they were talking about was that we are, we're stuck in the patterns of the generations. And then you'll remember, if you read that story in the creation, in Genesis, you'll remember that they said there's a way to get out of the desert. And the alternative to the desert is a place called the promised land, or at least they spoke of it metaphorically as a place. The promised land is not a place with date, you know, um, flowing with milk and honey. The promised land is a place where we consciously engage in energetic patterns that support our physiology, that support our aliveness and our original creative process. That's the promised land. The desert is playing out the unresolved energetic patterns from generations upon generations upon generations. The old generation has to die off doesn't mean people in old physical bodies have to physically die. The root of the word generation, genaria, means cause. The cause is held within this multi-generational database that created distortions and diseases had to be removed. And when they were removed, bingo, the uncurable organ all of a sudden became cured. There was a man who understood how the whole process worked and in essence, give you, give you the long form of the statement, we've only got a few seconds before the show cuts off, but the long form of the statement, they said, you know, gee, what do we need to do to heal ourselves? 
And he said, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. The long form of that is the heart is another term for the unconscious mind. What he was saying is you must go into the unconscious parts of yourself that are functioning out of the artificial intelligence of the generations that have created trauma, disease, and suffering in your bloodline and in your world. You've got to overcome that. And when you put those energies into your brain's image of your brother, your brother's going to show up and those energies are going to show up reflected in your perceptual constructs in your brain's image of of your brother and now you've got to go into the hidden part of yourself the unconscious your heart and forgive those remove those things that you put into your brain's image of your brother that you think are about him and when you do then you'll be freed of your diseases bingo now the energy system starts to function as it was designed to and we're in the promised land you get to originate what it is you want to create, you engage only in frequencies that are nurturing and supportive of human life, that is, those things that come from original intelligence that are based in love, you bring it into expression in the world, and you become a conscious creator. Now you're living in the promised land. And there is absolutely no incurable disease. Because there's no body to be diseased. There are only energies that don't belong, when we learn and become willing enough to experience, feel, and work through those energies, then we free ourselves of all of the disease patterns of the generations. That's living in the promised land. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. So that's what it's all about, Elfie. That <laughs> was good. I just... Um... Again, same with the other uh, event with the love of my son, which is wonderful. Uh, the speed at which this occurs is just blowing my mind. Right? Instantly. Instantly. Yeah. If you remove the energy, instantly the, the shift has to happen. I mean, you know, if I, if I sit here and I'm watching Channel 2 and there's this very complex, deeply, deeply, deeply complex color sound and all of that, and I push a little button and I change channels, that's gone in an instant. I mean, that whole complex system is gone and replaced where, you know, I was watching, you know, two football teams and 60,000 fans on my TV. All of a sudden now I'm watching a symphony at the push of a button. It's that instant. All you have to do is change the frequency that's running the system. And if we've been trained into, if if our artificial intelligence has been trained to do well, this is the way life works, you know, there's hate, there's fear, there's reason, there's enemies, there's all this stuff. Well, if those are the instruction sets, then that's what we're attuned to and that's what reflects in physiology, in mind, in emotions, in relationships. If I choose to stop playing the game that what I'm experiencing is everybody else's fault, I confront it and bring it to the presence of love, and it's dissolved, that's all. And we're right on the verge of the show cutting us off, so I'm just going to say thank you, everybody, for joining us. And, uh, Peter, I'll send you uh, some information. You guys can exchange information and see if you want to work together. <laughs>